It's time for the Manufacturing Austin Podcast, sponsored by Texas Mutual. Welcome. My name is Ed Latson, and this is the Manufacturing Austin Podcast, sponsored by Texas Mutual. Today, our guest is Rick Loofs, the former general manager of National OL Verco, and now newly appointed COO of King Shan, a consumer cutlery company that recently announced a major investment into Leander, Texas, to the tune of $150 million. King Shan knives can be found everywhere from Costco to Williams-Sonoma. Rick, we've known each other a long time. I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show. Tell us about your new role. Well, I, I appreciate that, Ed. Yeah, it's a pleasure to join you today. It is a really neat opportunity. Back in November, I joined King Shan Cutlery Company as their chief operating officer and leader to establish their first U.S. production facility. Uh, and that's a, that's a really cool opportunity. A lot of things have kind of culminated in and through my career to, to lead to this point. It's an incredible opportunity to lead the effort to build a new facility. And for me, I think even more exciting to build a new organization from the ground up. Uh, we've got about 29 people currently employed uh, with the company, most of those in California office personnel and distribution center. Uh, so about half of those will probably be relocating to Texas, uh, along with the company headquarters and uh, primary distribution center. So the facility we're going to have is, I think, unique. Uh, it's pretty exciting. Like I said, it'll be the first U.S. production facility, company headquarters, distribution center, and a retail site. And that's, uh, you know, this is definitely a new foray for me, having been most of my career in the corporate settings within aerospace and semiconductor and most recently oil and gas. So mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely a, a different path and uh, one that's very exciting to me. Tell me what is different. I mean, what's unique about making knives as opposed to, uh, you know, some of your prior roles? Well, that's a good point. And, you know, I, I, I frequently said manufacturing is manufacturing is manufacturing. Um, you know, there, there obviously are different environments that we manufacture in. We're using alloy steels, you know, typical and somewhat traditional manufacturing processes like grinding, heat treating. What's different is organization in a lot of respects. So this is private industry. Uh, it's consumer goods. You know, we do some B2B, but we also do direct to consumer. Uh, so there's, there's quite a few things that are different about how we operate. As far as the manufacturing goes, uh, one of the things I'm really excited about is this is going to be a very advanced and automated facility. Uh, probably, I would dare say, the most fully automated of any cutlery manufacturer in the world. We've got contract manufacturing agreements with a couple of CMs in Germany and one in Japan. Uh, and then a lot of our manufacturing is in factories within China. So this facility in the U.S. will really kind of leapfrog from a technology standpoint a lot of the facilities around the world today. And we're very excited about that. What does a highly advanced cutlery plant look like? Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of, of, of a hybrid. Uh, so we'll have uh, raw steel coming in, both plate and coil. Uh, the coil will get straightened. Uh, they'll go through some sort of, of cutting or stamping process. Uh, then, you know, depending on the knife design, uh, we'll have bolsters that are formed on them. 
and then profiles will be cut. So all of those processes from the time that the material is loaded into the, the production line uh, through that will be automated. Then they'll go into a heat treat process, afterwards a grinding and sanding process and then polishing ultimately. So the, the grinding and, and sanding cells will most likely be cellular and the rest of the production will, will follow more of a linear flow. Uh, we're going to try as much as we possibly can to not be batching product as we're going through the production. Uh, so you know, things like uh, heat conveyor systems for our heat treating uh, will be a key for our process technology to keep things moving through the production line. Mm -hmm. Give us an idea of the size and scope of the plant. So I've, I've heard it's going to be pretty big. Yeah, uh, for for a uh, for a consumer goods production facility, I think it is. Uh, even in this region, we're we're certainly not going to be the biggest, but we will we will be sizable. Uh, it looks like uh, we're we're still in the design phase with the architect and general contractor. It looks like we'll be building about four hundred thousand square feet, and about half of that will be manufacturing. Ultimately, we hope to have, and our plan is to have about 700,000 square feet with um, a little less than half of it being manufacturing. And of course, this will be our central distribution center as well. And um, we, we actually will be manufacturing for two different companies. Kang Chan Cutlery is the one that's making all the press. That's what we talk about a lot. Uh, the other is New Star Food Service. And that is a company that currently distributes throughout North America food service items used in restaurants and cafeterias. And we'll be bringing some of that production stateside as well. So obviously this is a massive project and a huge investment from King Shan into the United States. What's kind of front and center for you in making this project happen right now? Well, I think the highest priority is getting the construction started. That's been my number one objective, working with the architect, the general contractor, the lending institutions to get everything lined up so that we can break ground and, and begin construction. In parallel, this is a new production facility. And like I said, it's going to be state of the art. So we're designing the production line from the ground up. So we're not trying to copy a line that exists somewhere else. So now that's taking a significant amount of effort as well to, to get all the design elements, the equipment specified, vendors contacted, quotes in. So we're kind of running parallel paths in those two channels. And then in addition to that, just starting to get some of the processes and systems and partnerships in place for running an organization of this size. Like I said, we have 29 people on staff currently and our uh, plan is to have in the neighborhood of between 200 and 300 once we're fully staffed. So you can imagine going from almost 30 people to 10x that, you know, that's a, that's a huge undertaking. So getting all of that put in place, uh, while it may not be my highest priority currently, it's certainly on the radar and, and something that I'm already working on. Mm-hmm. There's been so much investment into uh, Central Texas in the industrial community lately. I mean, we, you know, the big wins are, it's a long list, uh, starting, you know, with, with Tesla and Samsung and Cellink up in Georgetown and, and King Shan and Leander. I mean, it's just huge operations that are moving here. 
how do you feel like you guys are going to fit into that community that's already existing here? Well, I think Ed, you mentioned it at the beginning. You and I have known each other for a long time. I've been in this in this region in manufacturing and supply chain for probably 25 years now, maybe even a little longer. And, and so you know, I know the region well, know a lot of people, you know, extensive contacts. And in my focus, my drive really is to see manufacturing succeed in this area. I know what it's done for me, for my family, for my team members, for my leaders. And, you know, I want that type of environment here in this region. And, you know, we've been very fortunate to have kind of an epicenter here for manufacturing. It's primarily been in, you know, one or two segments, and now that's starting to expand. And and that's really exciting. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like I said, to be in a private company that's consumer goods is new to me, but it's still manufacturing. And we, we still can learn a lot from one another and we can share a lot. And that's where I'm excited. You know, I want to have a facility that people are interested in coming and benchmarking and looking, not just because it's a, a neat product, but because it's got advanced manufacturing and it's, um, it's a very thoughtful design of both the building as well as the, as the production lines and you know, I want us to be that type of place that can can be a contributor in this community and this manufacturing community for others to learn from. Mm. I think that's a great approach and, and also kind of a good segue, you know, Rick, for something I wanted to bring up. I'm uh, always appreciated your approach to people, you know, your desire to manifest the greatest and whether it be your operation or or the people you're working with. And uh, when I was doing some research for for this discussion, uh, I ran across your personal mission statement on LinkedIn, and, and I wanted to read it and just talk about that for a second. And it's in first person. And I'm going to read what you wrote. It's to inspire others to lead their best life, a life you love. Lead the organization I'm blessed to serve to the pinnacle of cultural health, maximizing the team's engagement while having fun, caring deeply and accomplishing the mission. Talk about your passion for helping people lead their best life. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I see that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a person of faith uh, that plays a, a huge part in my life. And so, you know, I believe in, in treating others well and serving them. And you know, one of the things that, you know, I learned years ago is relationships are, are, are absolutely critical in life. You know, making an investment in those is key to our success as well as the success of an organization. You know, I just, um, my personal philosophy, you know, put, put others ahead of myself, contribute to what they want to accomplish in life. And what I found in doing that is people give you their best. If you're approaching it in a genuine, authentic manner, then they know it's not manipulative. I probably go against the grain a little bit from some of the traditional leadership thinking in the sense that, you know, some of the the people that I've had on teams that I've been co-laborers with are some of my best friends now. So, you know, you've heard the old adage, it's lonely at the top. Well, it's only lonely at the top if you choose for it to be. (laughs) And so, you know, again, I've got great friends that they on a on an org chart. Yes, they reported to me. But it never felt that way. We, we were a team and um, we developed very deep and strong relationships. And, you know, I think today I could call on them for anything and they know they could call on me for anything. And that doesn't 
doesn't just mean in the professional arena. That's any area of life. So you know, I think I, I've tried to live that out. And, you know, I've been blessed throughout my career by taking that approach. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of how that led to it. But it really starts with a, with a solid faith foundation and, you know, extends from, you know, what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like your desire to create this kind of environment changes your approach to team building? When, when you're starting to bring in talent and uh, get that core team in place, what are you paying attention to? What are your kind of characteristics that you want to see in people? Well, I, I think first and foremost, culture, right? I mean, culture is king. You know, when we look at the talent that we're assessing, that we're trying to add to the, to the team, you know, culture fit is part of that. Chemistry with the team, certainly competencies that, that people have and, you know, what are our organizational and team needs and what can they bring. But I start, I typically start with, with their fit in the organization. You know, do they have the right character? Do they have the common vision or a vision that we can align for what they want to contribute to the organization and where we're headed? When you get to hiring, you know, I kind of follow Patrick Lincioni's model of humble, hungry, and smart. And if you're looking for people that have a level of humility, they've got drive, and they've got, a, they've got an emotional intelligence about them, then they're typically going to be pretty successful. And you know, a lot of the competencies and skills we can train for if, if people have the right character, that drive, the work ethic, and then the, the culture fit, then they'll typically be pretty successful. And you know, Jim Collins is famous for saying, get the right people on the bus, then get them in the right seats. And I kind of follow that adage as well. COOs are always giving and getting feedback. What's your communication style? Very, I'd say very collaborative. You know, it, it was honestly very difficult for me to agree to do this interview. <laughs> um, I, I am very much introverted and uh, I, I do not like the spotlight. In a leadership role, you understand that you have to from time to time. And I'd say my communication style is, is very informal, very authentic. You know, it's from the heart. Uh, the, the things that I communicate to to my extended teams are the things that you know, I, I believe in the direction that we're going, you know, obviously you've got to, to structure communication to the audience, but I'm fairly open book when it comes to, to leadership. I don't try to keep things to myself. I'll share anything. Anybody can call me anytime and I'll either answer them, their questions or I'll point them to resources where they can get the answers. You know, it's interesting you mentioned being introverted and the feelings that might come up in different situations. You know, I'm sure you're called to dress a variety of groups often. You know, how do you manage it? I remember in college, the requisite communication course that you have to take, and I didn't do well in it. Let's just put it that way. I hear you, (laughs) man. I did well enough to pass, but that was about it. I mean, early in my career, it was very difficult. You know, I had a lot of nervous tendencies when I had to speak in front of people. Uh, it was interesting. Six months out of college, I, I moved into a, a managerial role at a manufacturing facility. We're in, doing aerospace defense work. And as a supervisor, I had to present to the general manager and his staff, all the supervisors did. We all had a, a, a turn in the tank, we say. And uh, boy, that was that was brutal. Um, but thankfully, the company saw enough in me, made some investments there, 
Uh, I went through at that that time the Dell Carnegie course, uh, you know, for for public speaking, and it helped. Uh, it didn't resolve the issues. It didn't, you know, yeah. the nervousness didn't go away. I still get very anxious when I have to speak in front of people, and it, even if it's you know a group of ten or twelve or a group of hundred, it doesn't matter. So that's still a challenge, but it's something that I've worked on and. You know, that what's helped me is just to, again, be authentic and not try to perform, but just, you know, this is who I am and we're going to have a conversation. You know, if, if you don't like that, or if it's not polished enough, well, I can't, I can't control how you're receiving that. So, you know, that's kind of the philosophy and, and it's, it's served me fairly well in these past few years and some of the, the higher level roles that I've had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boy, I can remember uh, those those speech classes in, in college and, and really dreading getting up in front of the group to deliver that. But I think practice really helps overcome a lot of those fears. Talk about the region. There's a lot of challenges in Central Texas, but there's a lot of opportunities and, and positives. As you're fulfilling this mission to build this facility, do you feel like there's anything that's really difficult to overcome in the area? Well, I mean, the one that we talk about regularly is labor, right? Have the workforce and having enough competent, trained individuals to execute the objectives that we have. So, you know, that's the big one, I'd say. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of effort uh, that you in particular and ARMA have have championed. And, and you know, as a manufacturer, we, we definitely appreciate that. You know, I think ARMA is a great organization. Uh, that's really helping to further solidify manufacturing in this region and make sure that we have the resources that we need and the support of the governing bodies. So you know, for that, I'm very appreciative. And, and that's I think, first on the list. The other, it's, it's kind of interesting. You mentioned the growth in the area. And you know, one of the challenges as you're trying to build a facility right now is finding enough resources to build the building. Even so, you know, the Teslas and Amazons and, you know, applied materials and Samsungs of the world, they're, you know, they're commanding the attention of a lot of contractors and subcontractors. You know, we've got to look and and be realistic about the timeline that, that we've got for building a facility. You know, and I think if we go into it with kind of open eyes, then we'll, we'll get where we need to be. It just may not be as fast. And, then, of course, there's supply chain challenges, which we've also talked about extensively. And, you know, we're seeing that across the board. So that's everything from construction materials to equipment for construction, production equipment, raw materials. You know, I think we've had for about three months, we've had 50 to 60 containers stuck off the coast of, of California waiting for uh, the ports to open. So you know, there's, there's a lot of challenges everybody's facing them. I know we're not unique in that. So that gives me a little comfort. Uh, at the same time, we've got to work diligently to overcome all of these. Mm-hmm. I recognize it is obstacles and things that, that you guys have to overcome. But I think it's, as you mentioned, things we need to work on as a region. And I am optimistic about the community that's here and the collaboration that's happening across all levels, across counties, across school districts and different commissions. I just, I really feel like we have the team in place to tackle these things and and we're becoming this area that has so much potential to really make an impact in the world. I'm glad that we get to work together on this, Rick. And I think that's probably a good place to wrap up this conversation. So I really appreciate your time and, and doing this. 
It was my pleasure, Ed. And like I said, I really appreciate you and the effort that you've championed in this region for manufacturing. Thanks also to our listeners and thanks to our sponsor, Texas Mutual, for making this possible. This is the Manufacturing Austin podcast, and we'll see you next time.